0: And thank you for tuning in to this latest Science Custom Podcast, created in partnership with BOLD, the blog on learning and development. I'm Sean Sanders, director and senior editor for Custom Publishing at Science, and I'm very pleased that you're able to join me for this series of podcast interviews with outstanding researchers who are attempting to make positive changes in the lives of children and adolescents by seeking practical solutions for a complex world. Apart from this common goal, they are also all recipients of the prestigious Klaus J. Jacobs Research Prize, a 1 million Swiss francs grant awarded by the Jacobs Foundation that recognizes exceptional achievements in the field of child and youth development. Today I'm talking with Dr. Daphne Bavalier. Daphne is a professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Geneva in Switzerland. She studies how the brain adapts to new and different experiences, particularly the effect of playing action video games, and how this can be leveraged to improve learning and brain plasticity. Thank you so much for joining me today, Daphne.
1: Hi, Sean. Delighted to be on board.
0: Daphne, the first question I have is that you're doing some really interesting research using video games to study brain plasticity, uh, the brain's ability to change. What types of games do you use and how do you choose them?
1: So we've been studying mostly commercially available video games. And in fact, we made a chance discovery early in 2000 about first and third person shooter games. So not the game you would think of are the most mind enhancing, having beneficial impact on our cognitive skills, how we pay attention, how we see, or how we can do several different tasks at the same time.
0: Now, what is happening in the brain when your subjects are playing these video games?
1: To look at the effect of playing action video games on the brain, we use either fMRI or EEG. There are techniques uh, where we look at directly brain activity. And we have found that playing those games... Changes one major network, which is a network of uh, top-down attention. So, how well you distribute your attention over your surrounding in a voluntary fashion—really, how well do you control your attention? And this network is changed for the better. It's typically involving a part of the frontal cortex and the parietal cortex that's coordinating together, and it's changed for the better and works in a much more efficient manner in people that play action video games.
0: Does the brain respond differently in players of different ages? So when you're looking at adolescent brains versus adult brains, do you see any differences?
1: So this is a very good question. We haven't looked directly at that question in our lab, but there are a number of other labs that have looked at different ages of video game players, not just action video games, but mixing a bit all the games together. So far, there hasn't been major changes between adolescents and adults. We know that adolescents are more risk-taking, but that's the case whether they play video games or not.
0: Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier that uh, these the games that you use are first and third-person shooter games. Are there any other games that work as effectively that you see the same results in?
1: So we have been using first and third-person shooter games that we call action games. Because they, in our hand, first revealed uh, surprising effects on how well your attention works. So people that play five hours or more per week of action video games, and have done so for more than six months, display a number of advantages in terms of how well they see, how well they multitask, how well they pay attention more recently we have asked you know are there other games genre that have this effect and we've been able to show that driving games seem to have some of these effects we also notice that real time strategy games tend to also have similar effects and really a major challenge is to understand what in these different types of uh, video game leads to these positive effects
0: even though there's there's some of these really interesting positive effects of these action games that you described. I'm guessing that you're not recommending that we all go out and start playing video games five or more hours a week, right?
1: Should we play five or uh, more hours video games a week? Well, first, I need to disclose that I don't have time to play video games. <laughs> so I don't do it, but maybe I should uh, because I'm part of the aging ranch that could benefit. When we do intervention studies for a clinical purpose, we actually are at about five hours per week. So I think a lot of us would be happy if our teenagers were only playing five hours per week. (laughs) But one uh, thing which uh, has been made clear by the literature is that binging is not necessarily giving uh, rise to the positive effects that we're seeing in the lab when the recommendation of what we do in the lab is to play about half an hour per day, every day or every other day for a long period of time. So for like 10 weeks, 12 weeks, and that's these short distributed uh, sessions that will give you the positive effects that we have been able to show. Mm
0: -hmm. I just wanted to go back to what you said earlier about some of these these positive effects, the uh, increase in attention and the ability to multitask. Can you talk in a little bit more detail about these effects? Uh, I know in this day and age, we're all asked to multitask so much. So what are the positive effects? What do playing video games actually improve in us?
1: So it's really interesting that there is a lot of misunderstanding or it's really hard to intuit what technology does to our brain and behavior. So in the case of action video games, we have been able to show through Training studies, that is studies where we ask participants to play these action video games that we can improve their vision or we can improve their attention. So this is really a causal effect. Now, there are other types of use of technology. So for example, there is the ability, as you were saying, that we multitask a lot between different technologies and different apps. It's called media multitasking. And people who media multitask Tend to have worse attention. So that's the opposite effect that what we see with action video games. And that's surprising because when you multitask, you would think that you would be very, very good at doing many different tasks and so have heightened attention, but those people are actually worse. And so this is actually really why it's very important to step into the lab and do measurements and not just intuit what we think may be right when we are experiencing the technology. Mm-hmm.
0: We all think we're better at multitasking than we actually are. That's certainly <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Now you've recently begun studying the effect of these action video games on social skills as well as emotional intelligence. What are you interested in uncovering?
1: So one of the main ideas that we are pushing and we still need to verify it, but that playing action video game is a good training for something we do every day, which is learning to learn. That is, being a better learner, being able to learn faster, more efficiently, in a sense, benefit from this brain plasticity that we see in children and that as adults we tend to lose. And so we were Wondering whether these action video game also may have effect on emotional skills like being able to recognize facial emotion, and surprisingly, we found that there people that are action video game players do not have better or worse facial emotional recognition. They're exactly the same as other individuals, and this is surprising because our other research show that, for example, they have better visual skills, they have better possibilities at processing details in a visual scene. So you could have think, thought that, you know, the details of your facial trait would be also processed better, but no. So there are certainly limits to this learning to learn, and that's one of the very important lessons that we have to
0: um, draw. How do you imagine applying what you're learning about brain plasticity...
1: In the future, there are several challenges we'd like to um, tackle. One of the challenges we're tackling already is understanding the state of play when an animal, a human, is playing. You know, in which state is the brain and why this seems to be such a good state for learning. So there's a whole uh, research area that we're pushing that has to do with relationship between play behavior and learning. And from the neuroscience point of view, we know very little about what defines play in neural levels. We're also pushing for understanding how to better design video games for rehabilitation. We have a number of projects in the lab where we have designed, for example, video games to help amblyopic children to see better, video games that are combined with brain stimulation, to help depressed patient have the cognitive resources to reappraise their emotion and so fight depression better. And these are certainly a number of applications we're really excited about. And the last big challenge is to understand how in general to develop video games so that we can give to clinician basically a panel of activities where given who you are, where are your weaknesses? Where are your strengths? I could just you know, drag into the big sort of video game cruncher the different little skills and it would spit out a video game that is fun to play, but exactly tailored to what needs to be trained in the children with dyslexia that is just being followed by her therapist or an ADHD uh, adult.
0: Just a final question for you, Daphne, and this is something that I ask all of our interviewees, How will the work that you're doing have a measurable impact in the lives of children? And how do you think this can be assessed?
1: I'm really thankful to the Jacobs Foundation for their vision. Technologies are all around us. It's not just video games, but also social media, different types of interactive use of the Internet. We really need to understand the impact of such technology use on the development of the brain and the behavior of children. This is important to inform teachers, parents, policymakers, the industry also with developing these technologies. And very important also to educate very early children about good and bad use. We certainly need that information and we need to go way beyond the study of screen time because the research that already exists demonstrates very tellingly that different types of screen time can have diametrically opposed effects and so there won't be a clear conclusion if one just studies screen time. Now, the second exciting avenue of research concerns the brain basis of play behavior. In which state is the brain when young children play? And what is the value of that state to its uh, future development? And here we're noticing that there is more and more structured time in our children's life. And it really questions whether we should put play and its different free, unstructured, almost loss of time behavior in the picture and to become more central to the education of our children.
0: Great. Well, Daphne, thank you so much for the the fascinating conversation um, and for sharing your work with us. It's been really nice talking to you.
1: Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me.
0: And thank you to our podcast audience for joining us. If you'd like to send us your feedback or suggestions, please send an email to podcast. At aaas.org. For more podcasts in this series, please visit the Blog on Learning and Development website by going to bold.expert. And thank you again to Dr. Daphne Bavillier and to the Jacobs Foundation for making this series possible. I'm Sean Sanders. Thank you for listening.